0: with growing up?
1: I don't know if I would say I was obsessed with a particular decade, like growing up. And the reason for this is I'm a little obsessed with one now and I lived through it. Like I'm obsessed with the nineties sure. in the way where like, I'm more so obsessed with New York in the nineties because a lot of the sitcoms and, uh, Television shows and a lot of movies were filmed in New York in the 90s. They still are, obviously, but like, I don't know, there's something about it that kind of fascinates me. So it's like, it's not old enough New York to feel unrecognizable, but it's old in the sense that things have definitely changed. Like, Times Square looks completely different from sure, 1990 yeah. to, you know, 2021. So I don't know, I guess you could say that, and I am, I do love 90s fashion. I'm really glad that it actually came back when I, you know, I'm young enough to still kind of pull it off. Um. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of weird to be obsessed with a decade that you lived through most of it. I was born in 1991, so I only missed, you know, I guess I started making memories when I was like three, two or three, so I missed like a few years, but for the most part, I don't know, I was, I was there and, um an insane child. So I don't know. What about you?
0: (laughs) I'd say it was probably, it was probably the sixties in a way growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because like my parents were kids in the sixties and like young kids. And so like, it was something that they had some access to, but not a lot. And so there was kind of the nineties themselves were obsessed with the sixties, like all the throwback, Mm -hmm. like mod fashion and everything. Um, So, and, like, Austin Powers came out in 1997, right? So that was my version of it. Yeah. Uh, and, like, you know, like, growing up on Beatles music and stuff like that. So I think it was the 60s in a weird way. Yeah. Um, a little different than uh, a little different than Ellie's uh, obsession with it. But yeah. I, 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 I see that version of it, and I get it.
1: I think it's kind of fun that 60s fashion is coming back a little bit. Like, we've got the flared pants. We've got the straight leg pants. Men are kind of leaning more into... You know, more like button downs and flare pants and blazers. We have, I think, Harry Styles to thank um, for a lot of that. Um, Harry Styles and Billy Porter. Billy Porter really kind of leans into like a 60s, 70s style, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I love that that fashion is coming is, is coming back. I definitely have bought a couple of pieces. And I've seen like the with the um, hairstyles, like the uh, curtain bangs. That yes. was big. And big hair is coming back, too. And we all know that that was a big 60s Yeah,
0: very much. In like, style. It, that was a mod style for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And even in the makeup now, you're seeing a lot of cut creases and bold lines. So I think that's pretty cool. But anyway. <laughs> hey, babe.
0: <laughs> yeah, babe.
1: Remember that time we watched Last Night in Soho?
0: Yeah, it was a really cute date.
1: It was a cute date. We went down to uh, 19th Street around Union Square and to the AMC there. Shout out to those reclining chairs.
0: Hell yeah, even though yours made so much noise. That was hilarious,
1: though. At least I only did it once. Like, there's some people who, like, play with that shit, and it's just like, squeak, squeak, and you're like, oh my god, choose. Make yeah, a choice. Make it,
0: yeah, make a decision yeah. I
1: only did it once, so it was just long, one long squeak. <laughs> That's gonna burr. be fun
0: for the listeners.
1: <laughs> eh, you know what? Whatever. I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Correct. And we saw this movie a few days ago, and we're very excited to talk about it. We've this got is... our girl Anya Taylor Joy.
0: Yeah, she back.
1: bestie. <laughs> Creepy, spooky bestie.
0: This is the first time we've done a brand new release. I think this is only a mo- this only came out a month ago.
1: That's true. That is very true. We we covered Midsummer pretty early. There, it was still in theaters when we released it, but it had been in theaters for.
0: Yeah, it was it was, was minute, back. I think in theaters.
1: Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. This will be pretty fun. It's categorized as a horror thriller. Yeah, um, horror psychological thriller, yeah. We'll definitely get into that. Uh, So getting right into it, we're going to go with the normal format here today, just in case this is your first time with us. Uh, What that's going to be is Topher will take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and then I'll take us through the plot. And then in our third segment, we'll discuss and analyze said plot and movie as a whole, so... Get
0: all up in its guts. Get
1: all up in those guts. So, without further ado, Topher, who made this thing? Uh,
0: The incredible Edgar Wright.
1: We've been excited about this movie for a minute. When we heard that he was doing a thriller horror movie, we were like... Like an when... up and
0: down straightforward horror film, yeah.
1: Yeah, we were like, when can we... See that,
0: and how many times? <laughs> yeah,
1: we were we've been very excited ever since this was like a whisper of an idea.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I the, when the teaser trailer dropped, you and I both were immediately just like watched it like four times.
1: I know, and and the thing about the teaser trailer, which is the case for a lot of horror and thriller. Uh, films is you have no idea what it's about. Yeah, it's all atmospheric, and you just hear Anya Taylor Joy singing downtown acapella, and mm-hmm. it's all just like all of these random, really pretty shots, and then you're like, I don't know what the fuck this is about. But and I
0: don't want to until I see it. Exactly. Like, yeah, the two yeah. of us were both like, okay, it's I'm not going to look anything else up about this movie. Yeah.
1: It's definitely intentional, but uh, yeah, no, I, it, I, I remember being very excited when that trailer came out and then we finally got to see it on Saturday night. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, Edgar Wright had been working on this story since 2007 in some form or another.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but he just never quite got it to where he wanted it until Christy Wilson Cairns uh, joined on for the screenplay. And you might know her from 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a friend of Sam Mendez's and uh, uh, Mendez introduced, who's also a friend of Edgar Wright's.
1: No relation to Sean Mendez?
0: I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Sam Mendes introduced uh, the two of them and was like, "He all he, he knew about the script and he was like, Look, you need to you need to talk to her about this, get her eye on this.'" And he was and he did, and it was fantastic. Love that. Yeah, so we have a pretty new actor here as our lead, Eloise or Ellie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Thomas and Mackenzie. She's a New Zealand uh, actor who was probably you would probably know her best from Jojo Rabbit as Elsa. Oh, um, She was also in Leave No Trace and Old, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie.
1: And yes, you heard that right. Someone who's named Thomason is in a movie with Anya Taylor-Joy who played <laughs> someone named Thomason in The Witch, which normal, like, that sort of circumstance doesn't, uh, like, that happens pretty pretty damn often, but not with a name like Thomason. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> um, we have Amiya Kesateri as her mother, uh, who does go unnamed, I believe.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess so.
0: We've got uh, Michael Ajell, uh, who was in Attack the Block.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he plays John, our sort of love interest for Ellie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Sinov Carlson as Jacasta, the mean girl. Yes. The amazing Terrence Stamp as the silver-haired gentleman, <laughs> who we eventually find out his real name. But yeah. yes, that's, uh, that's what he's credited as.
1: <laughs> for the suspense. Right. The sp-
0: <laughs> Diana Riggs' final performance as Miss Collins. Oh, yeah. Alexandra Collins.
1: Beautiful final performance.
0: She was fantastic in this. I love her. And you would know Diana Rig from, you know, being a Bond girl and also, you know, a little role on a tiny little show called Game of Thrones as the Queen of Thorns herself, Alina Tyrell.
1: Tell him it was me. <laughs> Is that the line? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tell
0: her. T- I want you to tell Cersei it was me or whatever. Yeah. Like it's that, it's yeah. something
1: along those lines.
0: As you mentioned, we've got Anya Taylor-Joy as Sandy. Mm-hmm. Matt oh,
1: Smith
0: <laughs> uh, Smith as Jack, the fo- 11th Doctor himself. <laughs> Rita Tushingham as uh, Margaret Peggy Turner, the grandma. So and then it was uh, unfortunately it was also Margaret Nolan's last performance as the Sage Barmaid. Mm hmm. Um, I love that he hired a bunch of former Bond girls cuz Margaret Nolan was in Goldfinger. Diana Rigg also was a Bond girl. Um I think that was really that was interesting for, to cast them, you know. I think
1: that's a solid choice um considering the aesthetics of this movie.
0: Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um and then a uh, a little cameo from the Weasley twins, James and Oliver Phelps oh, as yeah. the cloaker. Yeah.
1: Oh my god, I didn't even catch that. Amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah I I, I it's sort of I was looking at it and I was like wait, is that them? And then I was looking at the cast list later. I was like, it was them. It
1: was them.
0: Incredible cinematography from uh, Chung Chung Mm Chung-un, a South Korean cinematographer. You would definitely know his work from The Handmaiden or Old Boy.
1: Yeah. The cinematography in this is... Dunning.
0: It's incredible. Um, our editor was Paul Macklis, and uh, Stephen Price did the music, which was also amazing.
1: Solid soundtrack.
0: Yeah, he's worked with uh, he's worked with Edgar Wright a few times, and Edgar Wright's. We've talked about when we talked about Shaun of the Dead. We talked about this that he tends to work with the same crew. Yeah, um, I would definitely call him something like an auteur filmmaker. Even though he doesn't have just one style that he works in, mm-hmm. it's always recognizably him. Kind of like Raimi is, or like. Yes.
1: Yes, it's yeah. definitely recognizable, and this soundtrack is so nicely curated. I mean, you have so many good options, good good things to choose from because the 60s was such a great time for music, um, and I think they did such a great job. And having Anya Taylor-Joy singing um, those songs, yeah, great, great move.
0: I think, yeah, it was really great. Yeah, and of course, uh, I did say the that Diana Rigg died just after... The filming wrapped. Yeah, and so the film is dedicated to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, for Margaret Nolan, it was not dedicated to her as well because it was after a little too late. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be released way earlier, but obviously, COVID happened. Yep. It runs for about 116 minutes. It was really tight. Like it's under two hours. Yeah. Uh, which was I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I thought it got in and got out very well. Yeah, it didn't
1: need to carry on anymore because, we'll talk about this later, but a lot of this movie is very um, aesthetically driven and it revels in the imagery of the film. So yeah. any longer, and I think I would have been like, okay, get the fuck on with it.
0: Totally. You know? Yeah.
1: I thought it was very well paced.
0: Absolutely. It was, it was a weird pacing for Wright as well, but we'll talk about that later. hmm um, the budget was forty three million. Um, it, box office is still coming in. It's made twenty one point two back so far. Nice. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. It kind of got pushed out of theaters pretty quickly by. It mm, did.
1: It had very limited show times and very limited theater locations to go see it here in New York. So, yeah, like in yeah. the
0: city where you release movies.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah, it sucks because it just it had a bad com- competition schedule because it came out at the end of October. Yeah. Uh, It was competing with a Marvel movie uh, that is fine, but like, good God, it just got pushed out of every screen. Yeah. Originally, it was going to be Bill Pope, who was going to do the cinematographer, but uh, he had to step out. And I'm really glad that Chung Chung Hoon was the one who stepped in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is an example of good producer interference, where Bill Pope was just like, he was unavailable by the time they were going to finally shoot. Yeah. And so Edgar Wright was like, we are shooting in like a week. I need to get a cinematographer. (laughs) I need a DP. Yep. And so he had all these people and he had been interested in Chung chung Moon's work for a while, but he was like, "Uh, do I want to go with him? His films are so dark and this is a dark film, but I'm not sure. And Nira Park, uh, one of the producers, was like, dude, if you don't hire him, You will always regret it because you will always be wondering about what his version of the movie looked like. Yeah. And I love that. I'm like, that is good producer interference. That is why she's a good producer. Definitely. Um, Anyway, I've talked enough for a while. Want to tell us what happens in this movie?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we start out the movie. We meet Ellie or Eloise Turner. She's in her bedroom, she's listening to some sixties music, she's playing with fashion, she's literally wearing like newspapers. It's a newspaper that dress
0: that she's made, that yeah. That she's
1: made. So we immediately get a get a nice picture of who she is. She wants to be a fashion designer, she loves the sixties, even the dress she's wearing that she's made out of newspaper is very sixties inspired. It's
0: very Audrey Hepburn.
1: Yes, she's and she's kind of, you know, she's just playing around in her room, you know, dreaming. <laughs> um, and then we see a woman in the mirror, which we later learn, uh, or we soon learn, is her mother, who she can see right. sometimes, who has committed suicide while Ellie was a child. Um, so she kind of sees her in the mirror. Then we meet her... We meet her grandmother who's very supportive, very sweet. Um, we find out that she's gotten into a fashion school in London. So she promptly packs her bags and we immediately head over to London. She's from like a very rural area. She's yeah, not from a out city. Yeah. Sticks in Cornwall, Cornwall, yeah. So this is about to be a little bit of a culture shock for her. So she's going to the London College of Fashion. Uh, she immediately meets uh Jocasta, who is, you know, our mean girl kind of like the person who who pretends to be friends with you but then talks shit behind your back. That literally happens, all stemming from insecurities, obviously. (laughs) Um, And she's just having trouble fitting in. She doesn't really party, obviously. We meet John briefly at this party in the dorm where she has been staying, who is kind of the only person who's nice. He's sympathetic to her. Yeah,
0: he's, he's, he's sweet.
1: Yeah. And after she gets like no sleep, she sleeps in, misses her alarm or doesn't even really have an alarm and just wakes up on the couch because she couldn't go in her room because Jocasta was hooking up with someone in their in the same room. She wakes up late for class, runs in and humiliates herself in front of the class um, by not knowing what's going on. And she's like, I got to get out of here. I'm unhappy here. She sees this this uh, post this like little um, It's like a, flyer. Notice, yeah. like a flyer, saying, you know, uh, women only if you want a, a room for rent, basically. Yeah. So this is where we meet Alexandra Collins.
0: Elderly Miss Collins. Elderly
1: Miss Collins. That's our
0: Diana Rigg.
1: Yes. And, and Ellie is like, this is perfect. This reminds me of home. I'm super happy here. I'm happy to be away from the chaos of school. It was just all too much for her. So then, later that night, Ellie had this, has this extremely vivid dream where she's transported back in time to her favorite decade, the 60s. She finds herself at the Cafe de Paris. Uh, Cafe de Paris. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, she she kind of she observes, but also kind of turns into this obviously very confident. Around her age, young blonde woman, we learn her name is Sandy. And she's trying to, her dream is to become a singer at this club. And so she's doing whatever she can. She wants to talk to whoever, you know, the owner. She's bypassing all these men in the club who are trying to buy her a drink and talk to her. She's like, no, I need to talk to the manager who owns this place. Yeah. Um, and the bartender tells her to talk to this man who's a manager at the end of the bar. Who oh, he's a, is,
0: Yeah, he's a, he's a singer manager, not a uh, bar manager.
1: Yes, correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. He's a singer manager of the person who she was there watching sing. Mm-hmm. So she strikes up a conversation with him. They end up actually getting into a relationship together. They're, you know, they hook up. They do all, all those things. Um, his name is Jack. And then the next morning, when Ellie wakes up, she designs this dress inspired by Sandy and um, discovers a love bite on her neck. So a little hickey. Yeah. So we've got this um, little intertwining of like what's what's happening, what's not what's happening, what's real and what's not, thing, yeah. Um, which is really fun, and she's designing this beautiful um, '60s inspired pink, like, tulle dress, pretty much.
0: Yeah, with a lot of flow, a lot of flair.
1: Yes, it's that very High-neck collar, but... High-neck collar, very short dress, uh but just very... It's got a lot of pleats. It's very billowy. I don't know what they exactly were called, but it's one of those dresses where, like, your arms and your legs are the show.
0: Exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: So... Ellie, the next night, has another dream where Sandy, and she's excited to go back into this. This this kind of feels like escapism for her. Um, yeah. She's very excited to go to sleep. She's very, like, people invite her out, and she's like, no, I want to go home and go to bed. And she starts, um, like,
0: using Sandy's language with yes. things. Like, she buys, um, yeah,
1: So in this next dream, we see Sandy successfully audition at a Soho nightclub, which this audition was arranged by Jack, her now manager. After she has this dream, she's inspired to dye her hair blonde. She changes her whole style to match what she's seen in her dreams and her visions of Sandy um, and gets a job at a pub so that she can pay for all of these vintage clothes
0: yeah they're like she buys the same the exact same jacket that sandy had on it's like yeah the little white mod like
1: rain jacket yeah it's like a mac um
0: but yeah like we also do see that uh sandy comes back to the same room that ellie is living in
1: yes yes we do see that that is an important detail so this is where we we, we've seen this silver-haired man several times already but this is when we actually kind of find out that he's actually in the story he recognizes her similarities to sandy and ellie keeps having the dreams she discovers that sandy has fallen into has fallen into kind of this pattern of jack is sending sandy off to his male business associates to kind of you know, flirt with them and even have sex with them.
0: Yeah, and it's this whole thing of like, this is how you get ahead in the world. This is how all these other girls are there. But we see this like horrifying sequence of Mm -hmm. like a bunch of different sex acts with all of the women just looking horrified or like shut down. Yeah, yeah, shooting up heroin. There's a girl who won't wake up, like all of that. Yeah,
1: it's pretty bad. So this is where we get kind of um, into a little bit more horror style. We start seeing apparitions of the men, but they're almost unrecognizable. But we just know that they are men by the way they're dressed. And um, we know that they're men from the 60s by the way they're dressed. That's what I meant to say. Mm -hmm. Um, But their faces are distorted and, you know, gray looking a little like decomposed very, body. Yeah, they're very
0: ghostly, but yeah. like it's like some of their mouths look like they're like you can't see like faces, you can see like appearances.
1: Yeah, and these uh visions that Ellie keeps having start to intensify. She goes to a Halloween party with, you know, her little cute her cute friend uh, John, and they're dancing, they're having fun, but then she sees the spirits, and the spirits start to accost her there, and she she runs. She screams, she runs. She heads back to the house. Um, John returns um, with her, and they're, you know... Getting going. Getting going, getting it on, you know, as, as people do. And while they're, you know, getting it on... Uh, Ellie has a vision of Jack murdering Sandy with a knife on that same bed, stabbing her in the chest or in the torso several times. And this completely freaks Ellie out. John almost gets killed by Miss um, Collins because she's not supposed to have men.
0: Yeah, no and collars PM. after 8. Yeah,
1: yeah. So then Ellie decides to track down this silver-haired man who she now believes is Jack.
0: Yeah, she's convinced.
1: Yeah, she goes to the police, but obviously is not taken seriously one bit. Yeah. So... Ellie tries to find newspaper reports about Sandy's murder at, at her university library, which is hilarious. Um, they're like the microfiche, um, yeah. Yeah, like um, why? Why are aren't you, you a fashion student? It's like, mm, yes. <laughs> um, she doesn't really find anything, but she finds stories of local men who have vanished without a trace. Uh, mm. these the spirits continue to manifest. They intensify. Um, she almost stabs Jacosta when she's panicking in class. She has a pair of scissors. Or it's scissors. in the library. It's she's, in yeah, the library. Yeah, 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 yeah. she's like yeah.
0: running around she's... the library through the stacks and everything. And yeah.
1: And she has a pair of scissors, and she almost stabs Jacosta. Jacosta does not like this, <laughs> and um, so things carry on. Um, she believes she must avenge Sandy. She has a very strong bond with this person she's seen in her dreams. Mm-hmm. Ellie confronts the silver-haired man who is always at the pub that she works yeah. at now. Um, he angrily denies killing Sandy, but then is struck by a taxi and killed while leaving the pub. The pub landlady reveals the man's name to be Lindsay, and Ellie remembers now encountering this man in her dreams, and he was an undercover vice officer who tried to help Sandy escape her life of prostitution. Yep. Yikes.
0: During that great sequence where she keeps changing her name, yeah, like, basically yeah. just
1: shortening it. Yeah, shortening it. Why did I say it? Like that? <laughs> shortening it. Ellie decides to leave London. She's like, after I can't of be in has the has city happened. anymore. Yeah, and so John is like, I'll drive you. Um, let's go get your things at Miss Collins' house. Um, she's like, Okay, if I'm not out in fifteen minutes, come get me. Mm-hmm. Um. So she knocks on Miss Collins' door. She tells her that she's leaving. She's like, I'm so sorry. Miss um, Collins tells her that a detective came by asking about Sandy's murder before revealing that she is actually Sandy herself. Boom. Boom. That's, that's when the twist happens. It's the
0: big, there's like a the few big little twists here, and this yeah. is the biggest one, yeah.
1: She explains that Ellie's prior vision of Sandy's death was in fact a vision of Sandy killing Jack when he threatened her with a knife. She then lured the men she was having sex with, um, unconsensually, obviously, um, yeah. back to her room, and she would kill them and hide their bodies under the floorboards and in the walls. So Miss Collins then reveals that she has drugged Ellie's tea. Whenever anyone offers tea in a horror film, I'm like, don't you fucking don't you drink fucking it. Don't fucking drink it. Have you never seen a horror film in your goddamn life? Don't yeah. fucking drink that. Um,
0: but yeah, the tea is poisoned.
1: She intends to kill her because she's like, "I'm not going to jail."
0: She's like, "I know you won't tell anyone." She's like, "No, I know, I won't, I won't." She goes, "No, I know, I know. you won't." Tell I'm going
1: anyone. to ensure that.
0: I love that there's this like thing with Diana Rigg where she's just like poisoning everybody. I know <laughs> it's her.
1: It was her type. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, but no, like she's poisoned the tea. She's like, "You'll go to sleep. You'll just take a little nap, and you won't feel anything. It'll be okay." Um, I'm not going to stab you like I did the others. You don't deserve that.
1: Yeah. So. Then John, John comes in and there's a scuffle happens, you know, and then within this uh, scuffle, a cigarette from Miss Collins' ashtray ignites a box of records.
0: I love that it's Dusty Springfield, too. There's something about that that's just funny to me.
1: Yeah. Miss Collins ends up stabbing John in in the stomach, right in the stomach, man. Ellie flees to her room where the spirits of Sandy's victims beg Ellie to kill Miss Collins, but she refuses. She's like, no, I'm not. Um... You guys were horrible to her. Yeah, um, like she doesn't
0: deserve death.
1: No. And Miss Collins uh, comes into the room, she sees the spirits as well and then is slapped by the ghost of Jack. The police are already outside. She attempts to slit her own throat but then is stopped by Ellie who tells her she understands why she killed the men. Miss Collins as Sandy, we she turned Anya Taylor-Joy enters the chat again, um, tells Ellie to save herself and John from the growing fire. Sandy stays in the building as it burns because she says, I'm not going to jail for this. Yeah. I'd rather die.
0: I'd rather die. I'd rather
1: yeah. die. Um, so sometime later, Ellie enjoys success as her dresses are showcased at a fashion show.
0: Grandma's there.
1: Grandma's there. John's there, who's now her boyfriend. It's a happy ending. Ellie sees her mom's spirit in a mirror. And then a vision of Sandy who waves at her and blows her a kiss.
0: It's a little, like, the the, the Sandy thing is always a little foreboding to me. You know, yeah. there's something about that feels like, oh. I'm
1: coming for you. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's that's the end of it. Great movie. Yes, yes. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved that it was very atmospheric, but that added to it as opposed to just the entire time thinking like, okay, get the fuck on with it. Because I think when you're dealing with uh, spirits of any sort in a movie, mm-hmm. it kind of in a way has to be atmospheric. You have to set up that world, that alternate universe that's ethereal.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I um, oh,
1: man. And most of this is in her dream. We're we're in her dream for like fifty percent of the movie. So obviously, it's going to be very like mm-hmm. floaty in visuals. Yeah, you know?
0: it's it's such an interesting. So <laughs> sorry, it's uh, <laughs> it's such an interesting movie to me. I think it's it's really clever in how it's done. Um, there was a really good quote I saw. So it was uh, Robbie Collin from the Daily Telegraph. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a quote from his article that I just adored. And it's, uh, it, says, it describes the movie as, quote, a riotous, rascally hybrid of a thing, part glittering love letter to the disreputable nightlife district in which it takes place, part darting psychological thriller that rips up the letter as soon as it's written before tearfully torching the scraps.
1: That's a great quote. That's, I love. That. I, I
0: think that's exactly how I would describe this movie. Like that's such a, that's so on point.
1: Well, to and me. this this movie is like okay. So it doesn't go hard in the paint with the horror elements at all. Like I wouldn't say at any point I was actually scared during this movie. It, it just, did
0: a bit for me, but that may be different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It it just it doesn't go. You know. I mean, especially you don't even get a single horror element until you're about one hour into the movie. And the, the latter half of the movie, you know, you're, you've got the spirits manifesting and you've got, you know, the, the mystery starts to unravel and the truth starts to unravel. But in the first hour of it, um, it's very much so gaining your trust. Right. Only to betray it. I, I which think that's is great. exactly right. Yeah. Um and I wouldn't say that this movie's the most unpredictable. I kind of predicted that Miss Collins was it's Sandy. Telegraphed, it's telegraphed, Yeah. yeah. But, but like the reveal is still really fun. It's so earned, you even yeah. if you even if you called it from the beginning or whenever when you met Miss Collins, even if you called it there, I still think that there is joy In like the horror sense, joy feels like a weird word, but you know what I mean. (laughs) There's satisfaction in finding out that you were right.
0: Right. It's not predictable
1: in a bad way. It's predictable in a way that's still rewarding for the viewer who predicted it.
0: Yeah. And I think it's Edgar writes a pretty he's a transparent filmmaker in a way. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's ever trying to trick you. Yeah. Like he wants you to be in on the joke. Right. Yeah. He's like, come along for this ride with me. Mm -hmm. See what I did here. Isn't this great? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's Ariel. uh, Ariel. It's uh, Ariel and her treasures, you know?
1: Look Look at at this this. stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? (laughs) Ariel's a hoarder.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, our friend Delphi's playing her now.
1: Oh, my. I wish I could see that. I truly wish I could see that little princess.
0: (laughs) Anyhow, so I think, yeah, like, what. Edgar's, Edgar Wright is a flashy filmmaker, though. He is transparent in that, like, he tells you exactly what he's doing. Which is why this was
1: such a great setting
0: choice. So, So I, I'll drop the link in the footnotes, but everybody should watch this interview. It's only, like, 15 minutes long, but mm-hmm. it's with the founder of Collider, which is a great website um, if you're into film and it's, like, cool shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Collider. They're great. But... It's an interview with the with the creator of, uh, Collider, and it's yeah, it's only fifteen minutes long, but it's really really great to just to like watch Edgar Wright be his adorable goofy uh, kind of asshole self. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind of a dick, but like
1: mm-hmm. in a
0: charming way. Yeah. But I was I was curious. So the dance sequence, right, mm-hmm. where we're having uh, Ellie and Sandy back and forth while dancing with Matt Smith. Yeah. So. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but Edgar Wright is a huge fan of a, uh, what's called a Texas switch. Yes. So you know what that is, but for the audience, a Texas switch is when you have an actor in camera replaced with another actor. Yeah. Or like it's it's in a single sequence, right? So there's no cut. Like you usually, if you, like it's usually with stunt folks, right? Yeah. Um, so you have your stunt person switch in for your actor while the shot's still taking place. So a famous one that he did was in Scott Pilgrim, right? Yeah. Where Wallace answers the door and say, uh, it's, is Scott here? And we see Scott leave frame, and then the stunt person jumps out the window as Scott. Yes. Right? Um,
1: a Texas Switch just makes me think of, like, we're in a standoff in, like, the <laughs> wild, wild west. And,
0: you know, drop to your other hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that dance sequence with them... That's why the camera moves Texas the way it does. Switch. That's all one shot. Nice. I love that. That's so, it's so like, it's, yeah, it's flashy. It's ridiculous. You don't, you don't have to shoot it that way, but he's like, fuck it. I'm gonna.
1: It works though, because we're in a dream. Yeah. we you know, why, why not make the dream flashy?
0: Yeah. I think it why should not? be. And all of those you know? mirror shots and stuff. So it, the interview is great because he talks about like, you know, everybody thinks that like. Oh, you have to do all this stuff in post or do it in editing. He's like, "No, we do it. Like we rehearse these scenes. So those mirror scenes yeah. are not done like
1: uh they're they're
0: yeah, they're done yeah. in camera." He's like, "We just rehearse it. We we rehearse it in camera. We shoot it in camera." And there you go. And like he was um the the uh, Sean, I think his name is, was asking Edgar Wright about like, "Oh, well, do you do you shoot coverage cuz we've talked about coverage a lot on this as well?" Yeah. And that's a question I was interested in. He goes, "Honestly, no."
1: Mm-hmm. Not for,
0: like, you know, like, uh, coverage is for dialogue. Coverage is for, you know. Yeah. Um, when you don't have an idea, if you're not sure how you want this to go or you need multiple edits in the way you're going to shoot something, that's how you shoot coverage. Like, Raimi does a shit ton of coverage. For sure. Because we talked about the Raimi sequence when we talked about uh, Drag Me to Hell. hmm But with Wright, Wright does a lot of clever editing but most of it is like his big action sequences are all sh- are all rehearsed like dance sequences. Yes, there it's all in camera. He does, and so like any of those really amazing mirror shots that we see, those are all done in camera. And like he doesn't shoot coverage on them. He's like, I know what the shot's supposed to look like. Yeah, we shoot it that way. Yeah which is very I love that cuz like we talked about Bong Joon-ho who famously doesn't does shoot not any doesn't shoot
1: any coverage which yeah. is
0: just insane to me because he does dialogue scenes and yeah. a lot of his films aren't action Yeah. But Wright was like I do a lot of actiony movies like I True. don't know why I would shoot coverage for that because it has to look a certain way it's choreographed.
1: Yeah, that's super fascinating. I always love hearing about people's uh process when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah. process and how they have decided that something works for them you know
0: yeah um like another thing that like he's been called a perfectionist and so the interviewer is like oh well uh, like how what's the most you've ever shot for a take or like mm-hmm. how many takes have you ever done for a shot and he's like i'm not he's like i'm not uh i'm not kubrick i'm not fincher like
1: right i've
0: never he's like i can't i can't, I can't imagine doing 100 takes like if you're doing 100 takes then you're doing something wrong
1: Right, you're not and, like, solving what you don't like about the previous take.
0: Yeah, and he's like it's usually because like a prop or something like that isn't working. Yeah. And so he said like I think the most that we ever shot was 28 takes for the baby driver opening sequence. Okay. Um and it's because like he's matching up music and all of this stuff. Yeah. And so you just have to get like the the again it's a choreography thing. Yeah. And so he's like yeah, we ended up using the 21st take because we got the 21st take and Bill Pope was like, "Let's shoot one for safety." They shoot seven more, and they just kept getting worse. And so he's like, "All right, mm-hmm. 21's the one we used, because mm-hmm. all the rest of the ones after that were bad." Because mm-hmm. you always like you shoot for safety, but you get the take, and then you do it again for safety, and yeah. it's just try to you try to nail it again just to make sure there's in case there's any problems with it in post that you have and you have the shot. Yeah, but. He was like, yeah, we used the best shot that there was, and that was the 21st take. Um, I did love something I thought I noticed, and I'm glad I was right. So one thing I, I noticed, I thought I noticed when I was watching it, and I, did, I was glad I was right. So one thing I did think I, I thought I noticed it while we were watching it, and I'm glad I was right, just because I feel cool for noticing it, and of it's course. a cool thing. <laughs> All of the lights in the movie blink with the music yes and the bistro right it's the french bistro they it blinks in uh order of the french flag and the color order of the french flag yes that i did not notice and it's it was just like so subtle that it was there
1: i love too that it's they gave us a reason for when we're in reality or supposedly reality right um they give us a reason to have very like moody lighting because of the sign being right outside of um, Ellie's window. Mm-hmm. So you get this flash of red, flash of blue, um, this bright flash. You get you just get like, and it's just oscillating between the three colors. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you know when when someone's they can play with that, right? So. When someone's being murdered, or if Ellie's seeing a vision, it can stay in red for Mm -hmm. a minute. If you're in a more peaceful moment, like with John, it can stay in blue. You know, like or a sad moment, it can go to blue. So, like they they made a really good excuse to kind of give us this like, uh, euphoria, the TV show esque, um, aesthetics without it being like, well, I don't know if we're in a dream or in reality now.
0: Exactly, it's cool. It it, it definitely it was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. This is a this is like a black swan level of like fucking with like, OK, what's what's going on now?
1: And naturally, what comes with that is the question of um, mental illness or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't touch on it specifically, but it sets you up with Ellie being able to see her, her, the ghost of her mother and mm-hmm. it clearly being a concern of her grandmother. Her yeah. grandmother saying, like, are you seeing her again? Have you seen her since you've been in London? Are you OK? You know, London was too much for your mother and insinuating that that's really what pushed her over the edge, quote unquote, and right. caused her to commit suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows if that's the truth or not, but that those are that's at, Ellie's given. grandmother's suspicions. Yeah, yeah, that's our narrative,
0: right? Like- yeah,
1: and so it kind of sets you up, which every horror film that's going to deal with like what's real, what's not, is going to usually set up your main character with having maybe a little bit of like like visions or mm-hmm. you know um, some sort of. Even just some sort of like neurodivergence, maybe. Sure. And then they love to spin that into, you know, having the audience questioning whether this person is a credible source or not, which sometimes can be done in a respectful way, but most of the time is not.
0: Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think this, the reason I compare it to Black Swan is because I think it actually is done well.
1: Yeah. Because they don't focus on it. Yeah. Yeah. We're,
0: well, and they, he uses it as a tool, right? But I think it's, uh, I would say that it, It's literally true that she has something like The Shining, right? Yeah. Like, she has The Shine, like The Stephen King Shine. Yeah. Um, Like, Danny does, like, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what's the name of the the chef? Um, Anyway, like, yeah, so it, it seems like it's that sort of thing where it's not that she can see the future so much, but she can see ghosts, and I think it's literally true in the film that she can.
1: She has that, like, um, what is it, um... Like she's a medium of some sort where, you know, you can, you, you know how someone died if you're in the room where they died. Yeah. I think that would, would that technically be like a, a clairvoyant, like medium it's some or something? some sort of something? clairvoyance. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Something like that. I, I, I'm not as well versed in the, the differences between all those things as I should be maybe, but.
1: Right. Well, and I think that. They're
0: I, all fake anyway, but.
1: <laughs> I think that the, the reason this movie, um, is successful in tr- in treating in treating that nicely um, is we don't we don't dwell on it we don't dwell on like people telling her she never ends up in like she almost does but she doesn't end up in like psychiatric
0: care yeah she never goes in psychiatric care um, I when she was... goes
1: to the police they're questioning it but oh yeah they don't throw her in anywhere you know
0: and it definitely I think she's I mean, she's obviously got some PTSD yes. from her mother's uh, uh, death. Yeah. yeah. But she also, I think she's got trauma. She's got probably some version of schizophrenia. Yeah. In that she is, like, replacing... It's the same as Black Swan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's I think there's an underlying mental health issue. The difference is, is that Black Swan, there is no magic, and I think there is magic in this. Definitely. I think it is I think it's literally true that she sees ghosts.
1: We, yeah, we are in an elevated uh, state here. We are not... It is very clear that this movie is not rooted in reality, and that is shown by... We honestly... We know that she idolizes the 60s, but we don't really know... Um, we don't really know what time period we're in here. Nobody's really dressed the same.
0: Yeah, I mean we've got we've got iPhones, so yeah, I think it's that, I think it's just roughly present day.
1: Yeah, but like we don't really dwell on on that. We just know we're not in the '60s because she looks back on the '60s and is yeah, obsessed with it. yeah. Black and, Swan is very, very, very rooted in what time.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's clearly in, 2010.
1: Yes, it's um, very rooted in that. Everyone is dressed the same. All of the houses look this... You, you know what I mean? Right. And in this one, you're kind of just like, it wouldn't matter where we're set. Mm-hmm. We just know we're not in the 60s. We know we're ahead of that because she's looking back.
0: Exactly. That's yeah. all we know. Yeah. Right? And that, you know, we have a vague idea that, Alexand- that Alexandra, Miss Collins, is old.
1: And they could have they could have literally thrown in there that like Miss Collins is is magically immortal and I would have been like yeah I'm along for the ride on that sure cool. fine fuck it she's a witch and has been alive for you know centuries sure <laughs> you know like I it's it's already in that heightened level that they really they could have they could have really run with it but I like what they did instead I'd
0: say it's something like um kind of like it follows where it's some version of present day but it's yeah. not a literal present day
1: yeah do you know what I mean no definitely. Definitely. And I think I think they they toe the line very, very nicely between fantasy and reality here Mm -hmm. where you as an audience member are still questioning because if they went on one side of the scale, you know, or the spectrum here, then we we would just be like okay, I have no questions, you know, like, you've built this world, you're telling me what's going on. I don't have any questions. But the fact that they toe the line so well, and it has us ask the questions of like, okay, are we in Ellie's dream? Is she really experiencing this? Why does she have the hickey on her neck? Where did that come from? Yeah, like, what is actually going on? That's where the psychological part of the thriller comes in.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I I think, um, What what something that adds to that we talk about this all like like every episode, but Mm -hmm. the architecture of this film is fantastically confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's it's obviously Soho is an old section of London, right? And so it's all this like, um, like the streets don't totally make sense. It's not really gridded. It just sort of grew. So it's all, like, alleyways and small side streets and this and that. And so we never get a sense of where we are. Yeah. Um, we also get that in the library sequence when she's freaking out, seeing the spirits everywhere and almost stabs Jocasta. She's just turning and turning A library turning. is a maze. Yeah. And you know? Like, especially one that big and just running through the stacks. Like We exactly. don't know if she's just running in a circle or not.
1: You never know. Uh, it was a good idea to have that set in the library. And this is almost like... Um, Edgar Wright often really directs his things and sets his uh, movies as if they could be a stage production. We don't have too, too many places that we're going. We have a couple of set places, but we don't have a lot of in-between.
0: Yeah, we. there's the sequence of her running through the square. Yeah. That that aerial shot is probably the only part that would be difficult to we've translate. Because we've
1: got the school. Mm-hmm. We've got... Her rural home, um, back with grandma. Um, We've got her new home where with uh, Sandy. Mm -hmm. We've got the pub, and then we've got Dream World Cafe de Paris.
0: Yeah, Cafe de Paris in like the Rialto. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's very set. In these places, and I, I, I almost wonder, I don't know too, too terribly much about Edgar Wright other than I've seen a lot of his movies. I wonder if he's had stage experience. No. No. Um, he
0: got a start in um, TV. He, it was oh, okay. uh, Space that he did with Sean Pegg. Okay. Or er, Simon Pegg, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> made Shaun of the Dead into Simon Pegg. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, him, Nick Frost, and Simon Pegg just started off doing that together. Yeah, so they started off doing that together, and that that was the start. But I think it's because he had to work on such slim budgets in the oh, beginning. Okay. Yeah. The easiest way to to set something is to set it like a stage play at that point, because then you're like, mm-hmm. uh, space is almost entirely inside the apartment. Yeah. Um, it's all yeah, it's all just sets, and I think that that's the way he thinks.
1: Right. Like we're here now. Now we're here. Now we're here. Yeah. It's very little meandering not in, a lot of
0: yeah there's not a lot of traversal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're just like we're here now. Now we're here. This is going to happen. This happened. Now we're going here. Like it's just very like step by step.
0: Yeah, even baby driver like he treats the uh, he treats the car like a set. He doesn't treat it like a transportation thing. Mm-hmm. It's a scene because it's in a car.
1: Yes. Definitely. And that's it.
0: Yeah, he treats, I think I think that's exactly right. He just treats everything like sets. It's cool. Yeah. Did you notice some of the really cool parallels? So he he the one in particular is one I was what I want to talk about. He really messes around with um, pain and pleasure in this movie, Mm -hmm. right? Because we have the the first uh, the first night with Jack and Sandy being sexy, yeah, and clearly like Ellie wakes up and she's like, it's that face of like, did I just have a sex dream? Right, right, yeah. And then we get the reversal of that later on Mm
1: -hmm. with
0: the uh, assaults, the series of assaults, right? Yeah. But there's also the parallel. So when her and John are trying to go upstairs and hook up, Mm -hmm. they are uh, she's on her back on the like first couple stairs, and he's like making out with her, Mm -hmm. and it's a joyful moment. Yeah. And they sneak upstairs, and they we see them work their way upstairs to the bedroom. Yeah. The final sequence with uh, Miss Collins, she is attacking Ellie on those same stairs.
1: That's right. Yeah, and
0: we follow them up the stairs to the bedroom.
1: Well, and even more, even more direct than that is when John and Ellie are about to like get it on, and then we all of a sudden see a bloody knife and stabbing.
0: Exactly, and they're
1: in the same position. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> I, and I just yeah. love
0: that. I love parallels like that. Like he does. Mm-hmm. He shows you moment that moments of joy and moments of pain yeah can come in the same way right i think it's i think it's a wonderful parallel i think it's a really good message from the film like it's a visual metal f- it's all visual message right like, yeah it's, there's no dialogue in those moments mm-hmm. um but I, I really love that yeah
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I know that there's a lot to kind of uncover with this movie, and I'm excited to see it again, because that was obviously totally, both yeah. of our first times seeing it. And I would definitely watch this movie again and again. It's it's palatable. Um, I would definitely say if you have a friend who's not super into horror, this has just enough horror elements to kind of ease them There's a lot of good
0: blood in it,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: it is and it's it's it is hard to watch in terms of like violence against women.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that's the statement it's making, too, obviously, where... Um, Ellie's whole position in this movie is avenging someone who didn't, who didn't deserve anything that happened to her. Right. Right. So it takes a good stance on that. And I appreciate it for that for sure. Um, it's unfortunate though, you know, you, by, by proxy, you have to kind of see those things happen to really grasp what's going on. Um, but there is no, um, any sort of potential rape scene is implied, it's not. We're yes, not shown. Yes, we, we are
0: not shown. That is true. We are definitely
1: shown that there is no consent, and we can imply that something happened without consent multiple times to her. But we're not seeing that horrific.
0: It's very Hayes action Cody,
1: happen. Yeah, right.
0: Like we see him. We see the guys undoing their pants or in various states and of it undress stops and her, there. Yeah. Or we see her in various states of undress and like looking depressed.
1: Yeah. But we
0: never see any.
1: Which we don't need to. Again, I, if I never I think, have to yeah. see another fucking scene like that, I will be the happiest person in the world. We don't need them. We all know what's happening. Yeah. You know?
0: That's um, why we love Edgar Wright. He I, he clearly gets that. And I think it's also, obviously, Christy Wilson Cairns being involved in the screenplay. Definitely. Never hurts. Um,
1: definitely. And I think that this is very solid as far as um, the parallels between Sandy and and Ellie they're both wanting to escape something. Yeah. They're both wanting to be different people. They want a better life for themselves. They want a than better life. Had. Yeah, than they've had. And for for Ellie it's coming from a very modest upbringing and for Sandy it's knowing that she has the talent to carry her places but ends up in a place she doesn't want to be. Yeah. So she wants something better for herself because she feels like she's gotten into this entangled career and It wasn't what she was expecting. And Ellie also, by moving to London, it's not what she expected. It's too much. She's feeling she's it ends up okay, obviously, because she's got that beautiful um, fashion show, which um, I think some some people would argue that that was also a dream. But I don't think it was. I don't think that was the intention. I don't think that's I think that was rooted in reality. Um,
0: The shots are too clear.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no
0: haze to them. There's no neon to it them. Feels you notice Like, a like bow. It's, it's
1: white. Yeah. It feels like a bow tying us up yeah. at the end here with a nice little nod from Sandy. It's actually
0: it's in the exact same color palette as the opening sequence, so it has yes. to be real.
1: Exactly. Um, I I believed it was real. I could just see some people being like, "Well, wait, you know, trying to she ask." She really
0: died in the fire. Yeah. Like, yeah. Trying off. to ask more
1: questions um, than there need to be, but yeah, I think that I think this movie takes a really great stance on and in a very honest stance on, on on what still goes on mm-hmm. um, yeah. in the entertainment industry and um, truly any industry.
0: Yes. You know,
1: you can be exploited, you know, in, in various ways, um, unfortunately, very easily, especially if you are in a vulnerable demographic. Yes. So I, I love how this movie takes the stance of, like, Ellie, even when she tries to kill her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's... Uh, or Sandy tries to kill Ellie. Ellie is still like, no, like, you don't deserve to die. You don't deserve yeah. to be imprisoned for this. You don't deserve... You didn't deserve anything that happened to you. It's so unfortunate what happened to you. I stand with you. The I'm standing up for what's right. The first person shown
0: her compassion.
1: Exactly. And that's really nice to see with Ellie because I think in the beginning you think Ellie is mousy. Ellie she is, has yeah. no... It, which I kind mean, of prudish? Can you blame her though? She's lived with her grandmother her whole life in yeah. rural England. Yeah. Um. What else would that breed? Only you know what I mean? Consuming
0: sixties music and media. And yes. Like, yeah. So she's stuck in the past. Like she still lives with the ghost of her mother. Like all these yes. things. Like.
1: Yes, hundred percent. So it's really, really nice to see. That's what her arc is. her arc is she's standing up for what's right. You find out that she's stronger than you you gave her credit for it from yes. the beginning. She's emotionally stronger. she's mentally stronger. she knows what's right. she knows what's wrong. she's not afraid to stand up for it no, not at all she and that's her that's kind of like her agency arc here. Yeah. She finds what she believes in and um. And she really sticks to her guns here and is still following her dreams. Mm-hmm. That's another parallel. She's and updating, following her dreams. And she's also like updating Sandy.
0: what was. Like, we see the final designs. They're not like the original is like a straight up copy. Yeah. And then we see that yeah. she's moving into the future kinda by redesigning.
1: Love, I kind of love uh, her dresses. I love that she did the metallic top kind of yeah. bringing it into the future. But yet it still has the silhouette of that 60s mm-hmm. um, dress. I loved all of that. I was like, I would wear those in a heartbeat when I saw yes. that fashion show. I was like, yes, that's that's my New Year's Eve outfit. There we go. Yeah. I love it. But yeah, that's, that's really my closing statement on this movie. There's a lot to be said about it and i think that i would i would definitely highly recommend it
0: yeah if you can still catch it in theaters by the time you hear this please do i would highly recommend seeing it in theaters yes um just for the vibe if not (laughs)
1: right now it is up for um you can rent it it's a little pricey to rent it i kind of feel like you might as well just go see it in theaters it's like twenty dollars if you want to rent it
0: it's less for a ticket
1: yeah yeah so i mean i would definitely recommend seeing it in theaters but if you're Really wanting to see it, and you just can't make it to a theater, it is um, rentable on uh, app, Apple TV and Amazon Prime, and I believe yeah. some other spots too. So just, you know, do a little Google search if you don't want to use Apple TV or Amazon Prime. So, yeah, <laughs> um, I think that'll do us for today, right?
0: Yeah, that's all I got for me. Feeling good? Yeah.
1: All right so you guys know where to find us we're on instagram at horror babes podcast we're on twitter at horror babes pod and we've got a little website horrorbabespod.com. and until next time guys bye Bye, babes. babes